Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter-day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Or making a donation at mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural with an S on the end, dot org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, Mormon Awakenings, The Mormon Wellness Project, Mormon History Podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and others. If these programs benefit you, and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax-exempt inside the United States, and go towards keeping the podcast alive. Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great programs. Helping you navigate Mormonism one episode at a time. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for this chance to be with you today. I want to talk a little bit about healthy boundaries. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, the sex abuse that's going on in the church. But I want to do it from the 20,000-foot view. And I hope that this will make sense uh, to you. Here's the issue. Uh, there's lots of things going on in Mormonism right now. The The church is in a lawsuit uh with a woman by the name of McKenna Denson, who was raped at the MTC by the president of the MTC. Um, the, the lawsuit alleges that the LDS church was a participant in the protection and cover-up of the MTC president's abuse. And as a testimony to that, as an evidence of that, is the fact that this man, Joseph Bishop, who is the rapist, allegedly, um, is, and I shouldn't say that as well, he's also self-admitted on audio recordings and in interviews with the Provo BYU police uh, that he actually did do some uh, inappropriate things with women. That said, uh, the church still has this man serving in a calling in his ward where he still has the ability to interact with young people. So you would think the moment the church caught wind of this and the man has self-admitted to some of this uh, behavior, that he would be immediately released, but not the case. On top of that, there's also a second lawsuit. Actually, there's several of these court things going on, which have to do with the church owning the BYU police. It's, it's a, in some sense of the word, it's a private police force, but they have the full authority uh, that any police force would have, but they also choose not to follow all the government rules in regards to what information they have to release. In other words, they like it both ways. They want to be a government entity when it uh, works in their favor, and they want to don't want to be a government entity when it doesn't. Uh, that looks like it's going to come to an end, although the church is appealing this suit uh, and it looks like it'll follow it out, which means it's going to extend maybe a couple of years. Uh, that said, minus the church finding a church broke high priest to help them uh, win this case, uh, it looks like from all angles, everybody is pointing to the fact that the way in which they're behaving in terms of the church's control of the police force uh, is deeply inappropriate, unethical. 
So it'll be interesting to follow that as well. So I, I just want to spend some time today talking about, again, this 20,000-foot view. And if we can just look at all of these things kind of going on. Uh, the third thing is Sam Young in the one-on-one -on -one interviews that he uh, in the group Protect LDS Children are working to eliminate. And any one of these issues you can just look at by itself and you're like, ah, that looks that's not good. But if you take the bigger view of looking at all of these things collectively, you suddenly begin to sense a deeply unhealthy culture that has mechanisms that support and make space for abuse. So the Mormon church right now is on several fronts. Uh, let's take a few minutes and let's talk about each of these specifically. We already did kind of a teaser on each, but let's talk about them in a little bit more length. Uh, and then let's also kind of review maybe one way to kind of see all this stuff collectively. So one, it, uh, Mormonism is setting up as a norm within its culture, unhealthy and distorted boundaries ripe for abuse and creating a mindset and culture for abuse to happen going forward. So the example would be inside Mormonism, we have a claim and we talk about it often. Um, and it's there's two sides to this coin, but at least on one side of the coin, we talk about how our leaders, both the general leaders as well as the local leaders, bishops, stake presidents, and everyone above them, they speak for God, for those they have stewardship for. Throughout the handbook, we are counseled to go see our leaders when we are having problems in our life and so that they can work with us to give us the word of God to help us solve those issues. The trouble is these men are lay leaders. They're a farmer in Kaysville. They're an electrician in Detroit. They're a plumber in Wyoming. They're a carpet salesman in Ohio. They're not trained. They don't understand uh, the ethics of counseling. They don't understand what is appropriate and what is not appropriate to impose on someone else as the word of God. And when you have that kind of culture, again, if you're a believing Mormon, you're like, but yeah, but they, they have a stewardship. They have keys. They have the authority of God. The reality is if you were to look at any other religion that's claiming that, you would be like, that's unhealthy. And so we have to step outside of our own faith and say, like, is it healthy to set a lay, untrained person holding a leadership position within a religious uh, congregation? Is it healthy for children as young as seven years old, because they're going in for their baptismal interview, to go sit with this stranger who is untrained, who does something else in his life that is unrelated to any skill set generally, that would involve him sitting with this person and having uh, these kinds of worthiness conversations. Is it is it appropriate for a stranger to sit with a seven-year-old? We say he's not a stranger. Well, to these kids, sometimes he is. A lot of people, a lot of children, even, even youth or teenagers in a ward don't know their bishop that well. And even if they do, he's not family. They see him for an hour or two a week at most. Uh, generally speaking. So is it appropriate for the electrician in Detroit to sit down with a seven-year-old and ask them questions about their sexuality? And we like to say, but hey, the question is only, do they live the law of chastity? But the reality is, we also tell our leaders, they have the Spirit of God. They have the Holy Ghost. 
And if the Holy Ghost prompts them to ask more, then they have a stewardship, a right, and a responsibility to delve into those issues further if the spirit of discernment tells them to do so. And as this happens, lots of abuse occurs in this church. And I'm not saying that in every ward these things happen, but rather they happen enough and they happen because the mechanisms make a safe space for abuse to happen. So when these people go in for these interviews, there's room in these one-on-one interviews for something inappropriate to be said, taught, imposed. People uh, are often told, based on this lay leader's own cultural perspective, he imposes his perspective as uh, the perspective of God. And often that's way distorted. That's That's not an accurate way to define God as like, hey, this is what I think God is, and so I'm going to tell you what I think God is, and I'm going to impose it as if that's God. The other thing that happens is that these children or these young adults or these women um, or even men, you sit in these interviews and you learn culturally that it's okay to be in rooms one-on-one with men It's okay for men to ask you sexual questions. It's safe if this person is a priesthood holder of my church. And so when these kids go off to college or they begin dating, these boundaries have been distorted in a way that now there's a safe space for even future abuse to occur. So we have to grasp that. And I think it's important. Number two, It's protecting and shielding leaders from being accountable to abuse and shielding itself from having to make the right changes. So there are numerous examples right now floating out in Mormonism that are similar to McKenna Denson, where leaders who have committed abuse continue to be forgiven by the church with little to no uh, punishment and are permitted to continue being promoted in the church to higher and higher leadership positions, and at the very minimum, continue to serve in just the standard ward callings. And so, in other words, people who have a history of abuse continue to be put in situations where further abuse can and sometimes does occur. So, if a person has molested seven kids, which by the way, this is a true story. I won't reveal names, but a person approached me last week. They were one of seven people who were molested by a man. That man was called uh, as a senior on a senior mission. When one of these folks came forward, the church put pressure on these seven people to write letters to the church, all offering their forgiveness and encouragement for him to be allowed to go out and serve a mission. All seven wrote the letter, and this person went out and served. Now, this person is a repeat, multiple repeat offender as a sexual abuser. This person has no business serving in any capacity in the church where he will be around other human beings who see him as an authority and where he can manipulate a situation or a boundary. And Again, Mormonism already has the situations and boundaries where abuse can occur, and now we have a repeat offender who can further manipulate and distort those situations and boundaries. This is inappropriate. And all of us grasp that. 
on some level, all of us go, you know, if we're Orthodox, you might say, but he was forgiven. It doesn't matter. We can forgive people without putting them in a space for others to be hurt. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we just let that person do whatever they want. On the, on the other side of the coin, we recognize like if someone robs a bank, we can forgive them, but they still have to go to jail. There's still consequences for actions. We all have agency. And yet there's also when we make a bad choice, there are consequences. And a consequence for being a repeat sexual offender, at the very minimum should be that you are never placed again in a calling of responsibility or authority, or in a space where you interact with others, where abuse, uh, manipulation, where boundaries can be distorted, where any of that stuff happens. And we kind of grasp it, but we like to defend, when we're we're believing, we like to defend um, what the church's actions are in letting these people to continue. But I hope on some level you can step back from your feeling of a need to be loyal. And you can say like, what's healthy, what's unhealthy, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, and what is best going to protect the innocent. And if you allow yourself to feel that for a moment, you'll sense like, oh yeah, we shouldn't do that. Number three, the church is using undue influence in legal channels to encourage lawmakers and law enforcement to act as if the church and its channels are above the law so as to shield itself from getting caught with its hand in the cookie jar. Uh, One example of this is the church recently pushing for, and it did it secretly kind of, right? It goes to the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce. It encourages them to put this initiative forward without their name being attached to it, right? So we're doing this in the shadows. And what they're trying to do is say, like, we want Utah to be a two-party Uh, consent for uh, recording audio of conversations. Now, most states in the U.S. are one-party consent states. The church would like it to be a two-party consent state because it says its reason, it says, is to protect its public reason. It says is to protect the confidentiality of interviews. And as an Orthodox believer, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the point. Nobody is just recording interviews to just release interviews that don't have some kind of abuse happening. In other words, the only recordings being released are those that expose abuse within these conversations. So once you recognize like, oh, it's only when people are trying to hold this religion accountable for the abuse and uh, bad behavior that happens within it, then you can realize like there's no person who's releasing audio of good, appropriate, positive interviews. That's not happening. So then you have to ask like, what does the church really want a two-party consent state for? And the reason they want it is because from here on out, when abuse happens, it can get uh, recorded. It can be verified. It can be witnessed and observed. And it can be shared. And the church does not want to be vulnerable to having its unhealthiness exposed openly in the public world, if it has a say-so. So the church, in the shadows, goes to the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce and request of them to push this initiative with their being the face of it, while the church did this in secret. 
The second thing is this. Half of the legislators, half the politicians in office are uh, LDS, active Latter-day Saints. And we already have on the record several of these politicians. The, the, the most famous one is the one in the Mormon Leaks video uh, who acknowledges that he's church broke. It was a, a senator actually from like Idaho or uh, one of those states. It wasn't even inside Utah. But this politician is before the brethren and he says, I'm church broke. I'll do whatever you guys tell me to do, essentially. When the church has the ability to go to half of the politicians in the state of Utah and say, we would like things to go this direction, and the brethren are deeply uh, concerned about this issue, and this is important to them, and put the social peer pressure on half of the politicians to feel religiously obligated to do this thing that the church wants them to do. That is unhealthy. On top of this, the church owns the BYU police department, which means the church can, through back channels, get access to records that are unethic, unethically accessible. Like, it is unethical to access those records. And yet, we have the Utah um, Attorney General who did a study into how those police records were accessed by who and if any it was if any of it was inappropriate and the attorney general which i believe is an active latter-day saint himself refuses to release the results of that study now doesn't that seem strange again this country was not set up so that a religion could have that much control of how a state in this union operates. The church also has the ability, when it does something wrong, to encourage its private slash public police department to redact any information that would point to the church having done something wrong. And when the church, when the police department is sued, which is happening right now, to unredact those records, the police department can continue to appeal those lawsuits in an effort to protect the church from um, being accountable to whatever bad behavior it's done. So when you start to see all of this collectively, you begin to run into uh, an idea. And here's what I want to pose kind of as wrapping this up. Now think this through. How much influence does the LDS church have in Utah with legislators? Is that influence unique to Utah in terms of a religious institution being able to influence about half or more of its politicians to feel pressure to side with it out of loyalty and belief? Now, this same religious institution owns police departments in the state and can, through that police department, access records it has no business accessing. That same police force can then redact documents when those redactions will hide that religious institution's unethical use of the police force to access records unethically, or when the police force consults the church to ask what it should do. This same religious institution can then also claim that its private police force be exempt from grandma laws. So the church has made an argument in the past that uh, it's not appropriate for anybody to sue the BYU police force because the BYU police force is a government entity. And as a government entity, it's not um, vulnerable to lawsuits. 
But when people are now asking for documents to be redacted, the church's uh, argument is that we're not a public police force, we're a private police force. And so they want to have it both ways. So the church can claim, or its police force can claim, that they are exempt from grandma laws. Grandma laws require that when a police report or police recording is done, any police information, emails, anything, that when these um, communications exist, that media and other people can legally request those documents. And the only thing that those police force can redact is personal information from the innocent. And so if uh, a victim is in the document, that victim's name or address or telephone number or any other details that can absolutely connect uh, the reader to that person, those can be redacted. Anything else cannot be redacted. And yet what BYU police as a private police force slash public of the church, what they want to claim is, look, we're a private police force. We don't have to follow those rules. We don't have to unredact everything, and they don't, which obviously shields it from the checks and balances that allow others to discover and hold accountable if the BYU police is working directly with the church in unethical ways. Like, do we grasp that? This same religious institution can also influence legislators and political leaders to not release and publish studies to see how the police records were accessed and utilized by this same private-slash-public police force in order to help the religious institution to resolve worthiness issues within its university. So the claim here is that uh, somebody is raped on the BYU campus. They go to the police. They file a charge. The police then uh, shares the information with the church so now the church knows that this young lady who was raped also broke the honor code rules. And she is kicked out of BYU when the only person she ever talked to was the police. And by her talking to the police, she's a victim. And the victim should have all personal information held confidential. That's not how things work in Utah. We know now, and again, we're waiting for the records to be uh, shared by the attorney general or to be shared through these uh, grandma request lawsuits. But what is behind all of this is that the BYU police, in illegal and unethical ways, worked side by side with the church to help it enforce its worthiness rules at its university. Do you sense how messed up that is? That is effed up. In no other state, would this dynamic play out? Nowhere, not in Ohio, not in Missouri, not in New York, not in New Jersey, only in Utah. And it speaks loudly to how dysfunctional this state is in having this large influence by the church upon the state in ways that deeply run counter to the separation of such and the very why that said separation was put in place. Do you grasp that? This is what Mormonism does behind the scenes in the shadows. And it's going to come to an end. As more and more people leave the church, as less and less of the population of Utah are active, believing, loyal members, 
all of this power and authority that this institution holds over the state, it's slowly dying. Slowly dying. And it's a good thing. The Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, should concern itself with what a church is to be and to do. Not to have this kind of power over legislators, the attorney general, its police force, which again is a police force. It serves the public. It has the ability to arrest and carry weapons and uh, interrogate people. This is a standard police force, and they like to be a public police force because it gives them all those rights and privileges, but they also don't want to be accountable to having to expose the connection they have directly with the church. Are you guys okay with this? It is a mess. It's one of the most atrocious, evil, dysfunctional, unethical things going on in this state right now. There's a lot of good things that come out of Mormonism. I live in a clean city. The crime is much different than going to another city of this size. There are lots of things the church helps the culture around it to be better. This is not one of them. This has to come to an end. This is not okay. See?